good morning. I'm going to tell you something. I want you all to go, ah, and then I'll tell you why I'm going to tell you. I feel like crud. I didn't tell you that to get the ah, though, because um, I try very hard to be an active participant in worship, but I, I, I was listening today more than anything, and when you guys were singing, um, it was really incredible just to hear your voices as you praise God. And so you ministered to me unintentionally as I just sat there and listened as God was uplifted and glorified. And that's right. Way cool. It really is. So God bless you guys. Thank you so much for coming to Dorsville Baptist Church. If you're a guest here today, we are very glad. And I do hope that you'll take a moment to fill out that Connect card. Um, like I said, we have a do not visit policy. In other words, I know that sounds weird from a pastor, doesn't it? But seriously, in today's age, you know, people don't, you know, they don't always want people to come in their house. And so, but we do want to know you. And so if you'll fill out that, that slip, then we'll, um, we'll send you a newsletter and put you on the prayer list if you want that kind of thing, the prayer email thing that Judy sends out. We want, to be a, want you to be a part of our family because, you know, our policy is when you come twice, baby, you are in. You are in the family. So we're glad that you're here. And uh, by the way, don't forget the blood drive is going on. You can have a part of that after church, and that's a good way to minister also. Well, anyway, yeah, then, by the way, this happens twice a year, in case you didn't know that. You know, last year was we week right before Africa. And this week, it's going to be my privilege to drive to Richmond for Matt and Bethany's uh, commissioning service. And it's really cool. I'm looking forward to that. And lo and behold, my daughter, I think, gave it to me. I'm not sure. She's shaking her head no. But uh, were we out there Thursday night? Was it Thursday night? Yeah, we were out there Thursday night. And she goes, I, I've got a sore throat. And so I, I was going to, like, take a bite of her food, you know. And she said, like, no, what if I've got something? Shoot, it didn't matter. I woke up the next morning, sore throat and junk. I'm like, that guy, you know, and then just goes down. But it's twice a year thing. And, you know, I don't think I'm going to die. Um, I don't think it's terminal, but you know how guys are. You just never know. All right. Hey, we're, we're in a study called Steeple Chase, and we're going through the seven churches um, at, in the book of the Revelation. And again, not for geographical and not for historical even. We are doing it because I think, no, I know, I know there is like a, a loud message from God to the church of today. And in fact, I, I, if the Lord will let me, I'm going to be in revival at First Baptist Church of Heron this fall. And I'm hoping to do a chunk of this um, with them. Because I really think that God has a great message for the churches um, today. Today, So as we talk today, keep that in mind and in focus that it's not just doors, Bill, it's the church um, of today. Now, I did something weird. I won't tell you why I did it. You know, we've been going, you know, we've been going right in order in the scripture. And then we came up upon Thyatira and Sardis. Now, um, those are really, really hard messages. I mean, they really are. I mean, you could read them. I hope you already have read them. Thyatira is just real difficult. And, and the worst is the one we're going to do today, which is Sardis. And so I made a command decision. Um, I, I, I told the guy that I checked with God. He says, okay. But I don't think we have to do them in order. But what I did was um, I wanted to do Sardis today and then do Philadelphia next week, which is an easier message. And then the next Sunday night, because Matt will be here on the 8th, we're going to be doing Thyatira. So it's really important. And uh, like I say, and, and I'm following the example of, of God. You know, that's always a good thing to do. You know, when children of Israel were leaving Egypt, then the Bible says that they could have gone through the way of the Philistines, but God said no, because that way was too hard. They weren't ready for it, and so he took them on a longer route. Well, I really want, my goal as a teacher is not for you to show up next week or the week after and go, gosh, get beat up again. 
You know, that's the furthest thing from my mind. And I know the mind of these teachers here today. We want you to take home something really, really good from the Word of God. So we're going to look at the church at Sardis. Now, if you look on the map there, yeah, where's old Sardis? Go back to that map, man. You went too fast, Tom. Go, go back. I'm moving a little slow today. I thought you might get it out early, but I'm probably going so slow. It's not going to happen. There it is. It's about 30 miles south of Thyatira. Do you see it there? Now, Sardis, there's a couple of things. Sardis was, again, a very wealthy city. Okay. Again, steeped in pagan culture. Um, Ar- Artemis, the temple Artemis, was the largest one that was there. It's, it's staying. It was on a trade route. You see, it's not in a, really in a, a port at all, but it was on a major trade route. And dye and jewelry and textiles were really, really big. And because of that, the city was very, very, very prosperous. Now, once again, because of pagan worship, it was a hard place to be a follower of Jesus Christ. But have you picked up something yet? Every time, every time when it talks about one of these churches, every one of them is a major pagan cultural area. Now, here's why that's important. The reason it's important is, is because we have a tendency to go, yeah, God, you just don't understand. You know, America's really a hard place. You know, you don't understand. The high school, you know, our students say, it's a hard place there in the high school. The kids make fun of me and the kids say, hey, guys, it has been that way from the get-go. That there will be a pagan culture and that's the power of the gospel. Is the fact is, is that there are sinners and that God has came to redeem, to forgive sinners. And it is true here in America, and it's true here in Harrisburg, that God has a message that people can be redeemed back to God. Amen? And their sins can be forgiven. All right? So we have this place called Sardis, and we start reading in Revelation chapter 3, verse number 1. <coughs> I read these words. Write to the angel of the church in Sardis. And here's this. The one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this. Now, let me pause here. This is really pretty cool. Over here, we, we, learned, we learned in Revelation chapter 1, I think verse number 16, is that the seven stars, the mystery of the seven stars is, is that they are the messengers. And again, most theologians believe they were the pastors of the, of the seven churches. It's really cool to think that God, Jesus, has the pastors in his hand. And then also we learn that the seven spirits was a cognitive look at the Holy Spirit of God. So we have in one hand, we have the Holy Spirit. In the other hand, we have the pastors. And I'm going to tell you something. That's a pretty cool place to be in the hands of Jesus Christ coupled with the Holy Spirit. You want your pastor to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Can I have an amen? You want your pastors filled with the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to give you a a couple pieces of of information. One is this. Pray for your pastor. Pray for your pastors. We have three here. We have Dave, Brent, and and myself. Pray for your pastors. Don't don't pray about your pastors. I promise you this. Before you know something about us, God already knows it. You don't need to tell him about our pitfalls because he already knows all our pitfalls. Okay, so don't pray about us. That don't help us a whole lot. But please, please, please do pray for us. I stopped a couple of people in the hallways. People I know are prayer warriors. And I said, please pray this morning as I'm preaching um, that God would receive glory and honor and that the word might be preached in power. And so pray for your pastor. Okay, and then one more thing. Determine who who you want your pastor to be. 
Determine who do you want your pastor to be. Do you want your pastor in the hand of Jesus? Or do you want your pastor in your hand? This is a real problem in America. Pastors feel intense pressure from people often to be the man that they want him to be. And you know what? That's messed up. Because you want a pastor not who formulates and comes who you expect him to be. You want a pastor who is what God expects him to be. Amen? And isn't that what you want? Okay? So, so by praying for your pastor, you help that to come. You help that to come. Okay? Now, that, that means that, that sometimes we may do crazy things. You go, what in the world is he thinking? We're trying to follow God. Okay? We're trying to lead in the way God might want us to lead. Okay? So pray for your pastor and determine your heart. God, I don't want Brother David or Brother Brent or Dwayne to be the pastor I want him to be. You take charge of his life. You fill him with the Holy Spirit and then allow him and them to lead our church as you see fit, O oh, Father. All right? So, so that's the start there that we have. We have the seven spirits. We have the seven stars. And then this is I, – I didn't. you saw the picture briefly. This is where it gets ugly. There are two churches – this one in Laodicea that does not have any positive comments. I mean, and, and, and the sign, can you get that sign back up, Tom? This is one of the great mysteries of life. Now, remember now, we're talking about a physical church, all right? And had, God had nothing good to say about it. And then we find some church somewhere who is named the Sardis Missionary Baptist Church. Why would you name your church Sardis when God had nothing good to say about it? I mean, come on, come on, come on. Have you ever named your daughter Jezebel? Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. How many of y'all have a son named Benedict? I mean, you may have Ed's Benedict, but you don't have your son named Benedict. And now why you would name a church named Sardis, I have no idea. Because I don't think there's like a Sardis, Georgia. There might be. And if there was, I would name it something else. I, I've always been comfortable with the name Dorsetville Baptist Church, but I promise you, if it was Sardis, we'd have a meeting. And get our name changed to something else. So here's what Jesus says in verse number, the second part of verse number one. He says this. I know your works. Now the great examiner is Jesus Christ. This is the closest thing we come to um, in this church is that they do have works. Okay? That's not a compliment. Jesus is just saying, at the great examiner, I know your works. And listen to this. You have a... Reputation for being alive. So in the in the community, okay, Sardis had the reputation of an alive church. In their area, people go, oh yeah, that's Sardis, they got something going on. Now, to grasp the problem, I think we probably need to look at how do we evaluate a successful church? How, how do we evaluate a church? That's alive. Okay? Let me give you three or four things. First off this. By the size of the crowd, they draw. By the size of the crowd, they draw. If you go by a church on Sunday morning, heaven forbid that we should get out early. Okay? And, and, and we, um, we, you go by and you see another church, you know, and you go, holy moly, Look at the cars at that place. And we instantly assume that something good is going on. Well, the Cardinals and Cubs draw big crowds. Probably the Cardinals more than Cubs. Well, never mind. We won't go there. But anyway, okay, so, so you understand that. that, that yeah, but you watch. You watch. I mean, you know, you, you know the minister really thinking, 
I mean, I've been church yesterday. Now, we really had about 300. I'll say, well, around 400, you know, because people judge success by the number of people that show up on your campus on Sunday morning. Okay? Number two, buildings. Buildings. We, you know, Gene, I love, you know, we travel. We love to travel and we're on vacation or whatever. We, we look for steeples. Okay? And we're driving down the road and off in the distance you see this like, like 9,000 foot steeple and you go, Pooter, look at that church. And I'm telling you, it's just built in our brains. We instantly assume that they've got something spiritually going on. Not so. Not so. New York City is filled with big buildings that draw a lot of people, but they have nothing going on spiritually. Can I have an amen? So, but, 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 but if you see a big building, we instantly think, oh, something really crazy is going on. So you got the size of the crowd, you've got the size of the building, and you've got the number of programs. Now, there's nothing wrong. By the way, there's nothing wrong with crowds. I'm glad y'all came today. There's nothing wrong with buildings. We need it. God bless us this building. We need this building. And there's nothing wrong with programs. Programs are the things that, that we do in ministry. Well, we call it ministry. And the programs we do to, to, um, to usually inward focus on ourselves. Okay? Programs often are, are what we tell people when we go to your house to visit you. And we give you the top five reasons why you ought to join our church. And we say, well, we got this good program. We got that good program. We got this good program and that good program. And again, there's nothing wrong with programs. But all three of these, and by the way, you can throw the size of the offerings in that if you wanted to, okay? So, so you can take those things and make them good signals, or apart from what God is doing, they're very negative things. Because here's what, and, and by the way, interesting enough, guess what they found at Sardis? The remains of a church building. How about that? First, first and only one. So Jesus says, I know your works, okay, and that you have a great reputation. Write this down if you're taking notes. Reputation is what people think about you. Reputation is what people think about you. Character is what God knows about you. Reputation is what people think about you. Character is what God knows about you. And I've heard it put this way too. Character is what you do when no one's watching. Okay, now, now, now watch this. Jesus says, I know your works, you, you have a, a great reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Whoa. Whoa. How, how does Jesus know that? Because he knows the hearts. You know, Jeremiah 17 says, the heart is desperately wicked, and who can know it? Who can know the heart of a church, of a person? Only God can. Heart on heart will deceive us. Some, some of you have fallen in love. Or you're in love, you think. And when, you know, love is blind. You ever heard that before? And somebody's walking around going, and why are you with him? What's up with that? Why would you want to date? Why would you want to marry that person? Some of you are married going, that's a good question. <laughs> it's a good question. Okay, so, so, so you have this situation where, where Jesus says, I know you've got this reputation of being alive, but the truth is you are dead. What's he talking about? The heart is sour. The heart is dead. I was watching a series, a special, on covered bridges. I I watched the strangest things on television. My wife came down and said, what are you watching? I'm watching a special on covered bridges. 
And she watched about two minutes and said, change it or I'm out of here. But I thought it was quite interesting. And, and what's really cool is, you know, they're all obviously old. And they would take and drill a hole into the timbers. You know why? Because wood rots from the inside out. And they had to see if the bridge timbers were rotten on the inside. So they bore a hole into it. And if it was, they could put insecticide and kill whatever was eating the wood on the inside. And the truth is, churches... Oh, this is so hard. Churches rot from the inside out. And Jesus is saying the problem is the outside. The problem is not the programs. The problem is not the building. The, the problem is not the budget. The, the problem is not that you're not going to crowd. The problem is, is that your heart's not good. Now, y'all know Jesus. He's one, he's one that said this, by the way, in case I didn't make that clear. Well, Jesus told some other things um, in Matthew and chapter 23. Now, these are really harsh words. I just want you to hear that. Remember now, the Pharisees were supposed to be the religious elite. They were supposed to have it going on with God. Okay? Now, remember what, he didn't say this to the adulterers. He didn't say this to the, fair, uh, to, the, uh, to the liars and the thieves. He said this to the religious people. Now, look what he said. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe, and we all preachers like that, you pay tithe of mint and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Jesus says, man, you, you are so meticulous about the rules. Boy, you are just, you really keep the law. He goes, but when it comes to mercy, when it comes to justice, you totally missed it. And he says, you ought to do the tithe thing, but don't leave the others undone. Then he said, verse 24. Blind guides, you strain at a gnat and you swallow a camel. In other words, how many of y'all, y'all know what a gnat is? Well, honey, if you're from the south and you've ever eaten watermelon, you know what a gnat is. I mean, you cut a watermelon in half and every gnat in the county knows you've done it. It's just a little fly thing. And you get, you get really good at eating watermelon. You get a little extra protein. I won't lie to you. But you really get good because you, you put the thing up to your mouth and you start chewing and you learn to do this. And you're blowing gnats off while you're chewing the watermelon. It really works pretty good. And, and Jesus says, you act like a gnat's a big deal. The things that don't matter in eternity at all, you matter those are really big deals. And yet you swallow camels. Like ignoring mercy. Like ignoring justice. Pretty, pretty powerful stuff from the Son of God. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of exhortation and self-indulgence. Self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, then the outside of them will be clean also. Well, you know, explanation, 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautifully outward, but inside are full of dead man's bones and all uncleannesses. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to man, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So that's, now listen, the same Jesus that said that, said this in the book of Revelation to his church. To his church. He says, you outside, you look really good. But inside, 
you're like a tomb that's full of dead men's bones. People go by and say, individually, he or she's got it together, spiritually. You know, quiet time, three times a week in church, all those cool things, you know, that we only have. Got a Bible, it brings us Bible to church. But inside is corruption. It's like dead man's bones. And so when Jesus said that you're dead, that's the imagery, that's the picture he had. So is anybody here wondering now what a live church looks like? I bet you know. I bet you know. Because we talk about it in the church of Ephesus. Let me read scripture to you again. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And this is the first and the great commandment. And the second is like into it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Jesus says, an alive church. The one he would have said to is the church that loves God radically and passionately. And as a result of that, loves people the same way. That's what it is, dude. You can't gloss over this. It's cool to have a big bus. It's cool to have a big building. It's cool to have a big praise band. It's cool, it's cool, it's cool. But the heart's not right. Things aren't right. We can act and we can play. We can put on a thing. But it's not cool unless it's cool inside. Because that's where God looks. Now, in case I didn't light your fire, check this out. It's Peter, the guy who said, I don't know him. And with many other words, Peter testified, exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 of them were added to the church. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread. See, they were Baptists. Just kidding. Hello, come on now. That's the best it's going to get, folks. In the breaking of bread and in prayers, fear and wonder came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now, all who believed were together, check that out, all right, and had all things in common. They sold their things and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity or singleness of heart. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. If you want to know what an alive church is, I suggest we take the description for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I, pray, I suggest we take the example from Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. Love God, love people. Come together for a common cause. The advancement of the kingdom of God. The church does not exist for us. Exists for him and exists for them. Amen? Powerful. Powerful. So, what is the answer for the church? Now listen, listen, listen. What is the answer for the church in America? Because that's really what we're talking about. What's the answer for the church at Dorisville? What's the answer for the church in America? How do we do this? Well, he gives us a good answer. He says this, 
be alert and strengthen what remains, which is about to die. But, but we probably ought to back up, shouldn't we? Do you understand that not everyone who has their name on the church roll is truly a born-again believer? I, I'm not judging. In fact, if your name's on the roll, here's, here's how it's going to play out. If your name's on the roll somewhere, and I get a call from Reeds, and they say, come to the funeral, I'm going to say at one time or another, he made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, and we're trusting God's grace that he's now with the Lord Jesus Christ in a place called heaven. But reality is, Billy Graham said 70% of evangelical Christians have never truly been born again. Reality is that in the Dorsville Baptist Church and in First Baptist Church and in McKinley Avenue Baptist Church and Little Chapel and Bankston Forks and the Methodist Church and the Presbyterian Church and the Pentecostal Church and the, and the church that is just a church, there are people who have their names on a roll who went through some road or ritual but had no genuine born-again so, for those folks, you need a resurrection. You need a rebirth. You need to be born again. I'm promising you, you've got to believe me. When you get to heaven, and, and you stand before God, and he goes, and this is it's archaic now, but it used to be a thing. If you're to die right now, stand before God, um, you know, what would, he asked you, why, why shall I let you in my heaven? What would you say? That was the thing back navigators, I think. So, so, but what if? What if it was like that? So, what if you die, okay, and so you die, and so you stand before God, and He says, So, why shall I let you in my heaven? What would you say? Now, I've been baptized. I'm a Baptist. Um, I gave money. I did the church thing. I wasn't that bad. You know, you, God, look at the giant scale. You know that, that secret millionaire? That's me. I just wasn't a million. And you know what He would say? Depart from me. I never knew you. Because you don't get to heaven by your denomination or your baptism or by your good works. You get to heaven by a genuine confession of faith in Jesus Christ that results in a changed life. It's not a prayer. It's not, it's not a ritual. It's not rote that we do that if you go to church so many times you're in. It's faith in the Christ that died on that Roman cross. When it, I love the song, David. He, he bore the wrath of God for me. He became sin for me that I could become the righteousness of God. And that's how you go to heaven. It has nothing to do with religion or church. It's everything to do with Jesus Christ. So some of you today, we've got a great crowd today. Are you genuinely born again? You know my first sermon I preached ever was? is entitled, Do You Know That You Know That You Know That You're Born Again? That's an important question. It really is. Because once the breath stops and the heartbeat stops, there's no second chances. Hey, there's no purgatory. There's, no one's, there's not someone who's going to pray you out of a situation. There's no way to be baptized in proxy to get you out of that situation. But right now, the doors are wide open. His arms are wide open. He's saying, come. I'm not willing any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Amen? Isn't that cool? He doesn't care black, white, green, or yellow, rich or poor, American or not. He doesn't care. But he does care about you coming and putting your faith in Jesus Christ. Huge. Just huge. But now, what about the Sardis Church? Now, do y'all remember something? Did you remember last week you said something? You said that I said, I said you and them. You remember that? Jesus said, repent, or I will come with the sword of my mouth. To them. 
There was a you and a them. You see that? And I said them were obviously non-believers that had their name on church roll. And you were the born-again believers. Do you see that here? Let me read to you again. Be alert. Know you and them. Be alert and strengthen what remains, which is about to die. For I have not found your words complete before my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. But if you are not alert, I will come like a thief and you have no idea what hour I will come against you. You see them? He is talking. Are you ready? See, this is where that teaching about ecclesia is important. He's not talking about a membership organization. He's talking about his ecclesia. He's talking about his called out ones. Those that have trusted Christ as Savior. He's speaking to his body and tells them, be alert. Wake up. Watch out. Sardis, both in B.C. times, Sardis was conquered as a city twice. Both times they snuck in. They snuck in the city. Peter said, be sober be vigilant, be watchful, because your adversary, the devil, is seeking to eat you alive. And Jesus, your Savior, says today, the one who bled for you and died for you says, Be alert! Wake up! Quit going through life like you're some you know, blind person, bumping in the walls here and there. Be sober, be vigilant, be alert. And, now watch. And strengthen what remains, which is about to die. Now there was a fire. There was a flame. But it was just a smoldering flame. And, and he says, that little part that's alive in you, in the church, in my ecclesia, strengthen it because it's about to die. For I have not found your works complete before my God. Now, one thing we've got to be really careful when we talk about works. I don't want you to in any way associate works with God's approval or God's salvation. The bottom line is that I believe we ought to be obedient Christians because of what he did for us. Out of pure love and devotion. No other reason. Come on. Amen. There's not. There's not. God's up there. God doesn't up there go. Don't like you today. Like you today. Don't like you today. Love you today. Don't love you today. Whoops. You messed up. Don't love you. Whoops. Today you did good. I love you now. He loves us perfectly. He loves us perfectly. But because of the cross and because of our relationship and because of the line he's God, then we are to be obedient children. And he says it. He says it. He says, for I have not found your works complete before my God. And what he's saying is this. There is a, there's a level of obedience. And you're not there. There's a lot more disobedience in your life. Then obedience. Now again, not, I'd say it over and over again. Not so he'll like you. Not so he'll love you. The bottom line is, in the church at Sardis, he's saying there's a whole bunch of you guys that are in my ecclesia, and you're not living right. And you know why they weren't living right? Culture. Culture. They were, they were, Tracy, they were playing dead. You, you know what possums do? They play dead, don't they? Y'all ever heard that before? I'm fixing to give you a gold nugget. Don't miss it. Why do possums play dead? Keep the enemy away. They are afraid. They are 
fearful. You want to know why so many of the believers, and it was a lot, at Sardis lived the way they did? Why did they play dead when they were alive? They were afraid. Some of you students know what we're talking about. Well, if I act like a real Jesus following school, no one will like me. I can't be on the football team. I can't be a cheerleader. You guys work in the mines. You're well, if I don't listen to their jokes, they won't like me. They'll ostracize me. I don't want to be ostracized. And we're afraid of what the world will say about us. Here's something to take home. Who cares? Who cares? Would you rather please and have the smile of God or have your friends who could give a rip about God thinking you're okay? And by the way, they'll think you're okay for a little while until they decide to ditch you anyway. I'm telling you guys, we live to please an audience of one and it is God Almighty. We worship to worship an audience of one and it is God Almighty. We preach to, uh, to approve, to, to please an audience of one. And it's God Almighty. We live to live for an audience of one. And please, an audience of one. We are in the same boat Sardis was then in America. We're so afraid that the world won't like us. Well, you know, we haven't got reason to be mean. We haven't got right to be unkind. But we need to be holy, folks. We need to be loving. We need to let the world look in our heart. A visitor walks in here and goes, man, these people like each other. What's up with that? They need to see Christ being lived out in us and through us. So he says, remember, therefore, what you've received and heard it and keep it. In other words, remember what the Lord says, do it. And there's that R word, repent, turn away. And, and if you're not alert, I will come like a thief and you have no idea what hour I'm coming against you. Now, this is not talking about the second coming. This is not talking about Christ's return. He's talking about Christ coming and taking away the lampstand out of the church. There's a, there's a scripture in Daniel chapter 5. I want to take totally out of context. But since Dr. Paige Patterson said, as long as I tell you I'm taking it out of context, I can do it. Because the power of the words need to be spoken. It's back when um, Belshazzar is having a great banquet. And all of a sudden a hand appears on the wall and starts writing. And the Bible says he was so afraid that his knees were knocking together. And the queen says, have no fear, O king. There's a guy who can tell you what that says. And who was the guy? It was Daniel. So Daniel comes up and the king said, I'll give you all this stuff. He just tell me what that hand said. He goes, you can keep your stuff. But I will tell you what it says. And here's what it said. This is the interpretation of the message. Meaning... Mene, M-E-N-E, means that God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel means that you have been weighed in the balance and found deficit. Perez means that your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Now that's taken to a 
pagan king. So don't, don't take that part of it. But what Jesus is saying is that as a church, including in America, as a church, as a ecclesia, as a called out ones, not ecclesia, he says, I will come and I will bring judgment. And I will take your lampstand away. I will take your witness away. You remember the story of Eli and his son Phineas? And Phineas was as carnal as it came. And his wife gives birth to a son. And the ark of God had been captured. And she's about to die, giving birth. And he says, be of good cheer, you have been given a son. And she said, nope. I will call him Ichabod. Because the glory of the Lord has departed. My brothers and sisters... There's a lot of bad things that happen in Dorsville Baptist Church and the church in America. But when God's glory has departed, our knees ought to knock together. When, when the church in America totally loses its power because we're compromising, selling out, God help us and have mercy on us. What's your appraisal of our church, Dwayne? I told you. We have an incredible church. I think, I think we're bigger than buildings and we're bigger than crowds and we're, and we're bigger than programs. I think back to school proves that. I think Judgment House proves that. I think way we do Bible school proves that. The problem is we're just not perfect. The problem is we need to be more like Christ. We need to love God more. Bottom line. Oh, me. I told Brent, move the trophy off the stage. I said, do you mind if we move the trophy? And he's going to put it up there. I said, no, off the stage. That's a wonderful trophy. But it didn't belong here where the word of God was being preached. Because that's a symbol for not careful. And nothing wrong with Saul. But that's a symbol of what's wrong with America. We worship another God. And sometimes it's called cardinals. And sometimes it's, it's called cubs. And sometimes it's called Harrisburg High School football or basketball or volleyball. And we've got to be careful. Because we live in a multicultural nation that is, that is pluralistic in its theology and theism. We've got to be sure that we worship the one true God. It's not a preacher. It's not a worship leader. It's not a youth pastor. It's not a denomination. It is God. It is God. So will you bow your heads, please? Told you it was hard. But guys, it's, it's crucial. I can't think of another word. It's critical for us. It's critical for your children. Yeah, I'm learning that, again, it doesn't matter what you say. It does matter to me. I won't lie there. But more important than what you say is what God says. And the church in America is in dire straits. And no matter how high my opinion of Dorsville is, it's pretty high. I know that we're not done yet. We're not done yet. That God... Has something more to do. 
So I do ask you this then. Will you please, one, examine yourself. Are you truly born again? And I'll be glad to talk with you after that, after church. Uh, you know my story. In church until I was 21 years old and met Jesus. Are you truly born again? Not trying to get bad, cheap baptisms or conversions of faith. I want you to know you're born again. And secondly, as a member of the ecclesia, if we could cut you open today spiritually, would you look on the same on the outside as you do on the inside? Can I say it again? Spiritually, if, we could, if you're a member of the ecclesia, the called out ones, if we cut you open today, would you look on inside and outside alike? Or would there be a deficit on the inside? If there is, God's word says, turn, remember, repent, apply. This is call today. This is our time of decision. We have the altar open. Brother Brent will be standing down front. First thing is this. If you'd like to know more about Jesus Christ, we'd like to share that with you today. Secondly, if you'd like to come and pray, um, Brother Dick Webb passed away this week. and There'll be a big funeral here this week. Be praying for that family. Uh, so many are hurting and sick. Uh, families are hurting. And if you want to come, we have some folks who'd love to pray with you today. If you have questions about how do you join this fellowship, uh, we'd love to talk with you about that. If you're, if you're a Christ follower and you've never been baptized, we'd love to talk with you about that. This is the time for God to do something in your midst. Let's pray. Thanks, God, for this privilege today to share your word. And I'm glad you didn't leave the hard parts out. I'm glad, Father, you put them in. And I'm grateful, Father, that through your grace and your mercy and your love, Father, even though we will never be perfect, we are perfect in your eyes because of Jesus Christ. For my friend who might be here today who has never truly trusted Christ, has never come to that, that point where he knew he was a sinner or she knew he was a, she was a sinner, and accept the full pardon and grace of Jesus. May today be that day. Father, would you move us, your ecclesia, your called out ones, beyond our comfort zone, let us take a look inside and see what's really there. You already have. Break our hearts, Father, over what might be in our hearts. You're a good God. And you are a gracious God. And we love you very, very much. And Jesus, we pray this in your precious name. Amen.